welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Uh, When I first came into program, um, I'm so good at helping everybody else to run away from myself. I had to uh, have a prayer so I could start listening instead of talking back in my head. And so this is a prayer that maybe some of you could use. God, let me hear what you would have me hear. Let me say what you would have me say, and let me learn what you would have me learn. So let me hear what you would have me hear, say what you would have me say, and learn what you would have me learn. And that's my prayer, I guess, for this time with you. Uh, I'm Tricia, grateful recovering sexaholic, and my last sobriety date was June 22, 1992. I'm a relationship addict at the core. My behaviors, my sexual behaviors, were one-night stands, physical and emotional affairs with married men, romantic fantasies, acting out with other men to please my boyfriend, or if a man offered me dinner and a movie. Um, I also had a lot of... um, seductive behaviors and words when I was in sales jobs. And uh, that's that's the acting out part. That's the stuff that people saw if they saw it. And what's underneath is what I'm going to talk about today. Maybe I'm even addicted to shame. When I first came into program, um, I I thought I was a victim of my feelings. Maybe I was a victim. uh, Maybe I was um, addicted to various feelings, and they controlled my life. But my shame story actually starts uh, in my childhood. Um, I came from a chaotic, alcoholic family, and my mother was pretty well dependent, and I, I didn't know what was going on, but she used a lot of guilt and shame to manipulate me so that I would do what she wanted or for me to be socialized, to be a good girl. And, you know, women are supposed to be, um, at least this is what I was taught, I'm supposed to be nice and modest and pretty and spend all my resources on looking good. And I have done all of that. I have worked on all of that. It didn't bring me any happiness or any joy or any peace of mind. Um. But over the years, I've been wondering, why are there so few women in program? I'm in another program. And in that program, there are 99% of the participants or the members are men, are women. In this program, 99% of the members are men. And that's why I wanted to talk about shame. Uh, you, because I think shame is the big hurdle for women. I know it's a hurdle for men. But we are supposed to be the standard of modesty, 
How can I be modest and a sex addict? You know, that, uh, it's inconsistent. So I have to deny what I'm doing. I have to be blind to it. I have to cover it up. And I'm doing it for you, honey. Does that ring a bell? I'm, I'm doing it as a relationship addict. This is the definition of it. I will use sex to get the relationship I want. My experiences tell me when the sex started, the relationship ended. So did I get anything I wanted? For me, the thrill was not the, not the orgasm, but the building up to it, the seduction, the dressing, all that stuff that comes before it. In the act of sex, I often had pain. I remember crying once. Why am I doing this? And another part of this is that my acting out didn't start when I was a child. I was in my late 20s. My acting out started because my husband wasn't giving me what he was giving to other women. He was giving them respect, attention, and affection. And I was filled with rage. And uh, my father was a raging alcoholic. And he was the power figure in my life. And I even put my father's face on God. And that took me years to find out that my idea of God was this raging, condemning man. So I have to take the male part out of G-O-D for myself. And my mother was so dependent and so manipulative. Well, part of me was my dad and part of me was my mom. So I was a raging, manipulative <laughs> con. And of course, I conned myself first. But anyway, I acted out the first time with a male about my age who just happened to be my student. And I went home and told my husband. And I wanted my husband to get so angry and say, how could you do this to me? I love you so much. How could you? He went for a long walk and came back and said, I guess we have an open marriage. I was, again, <laughs> that was the beginning. I was in my addiction for about 15 years before I finally, piece by piece, tried to stop. And <clears throat> I came into SA because I started my program, my 12-step programs in ACA. And I could never get beyond the third step. And that was because I've decided or I've realized I did not have a God that I could trust or that I could feel safe with. So one day, these two men come into one of our meetings and they say, we are sexaholics. I'm a sexaholic. And they talked about it and told us where the meetings were and all that. So I decided that I was going to go to SA to fix my ex-boyfriend. You see, then we could get married and I could have another God in my life, another man that would play God until he couldn't. And then I would play God. That was the deal. You know, I was either going to be God or somebody else is going to be God for me. But I want to go back to one other thing. One of the meetings that we had in ACA, the topic was shame. And I remember very vividly saying to myself, why are we talking about shame? I don't have any shame issues. What a waste of time. I cried through most of that meeting. Everybody was reading my thoughts or sharing my feelings. I had tremendous shame. So besides having this family that I was very ashamed of, there are a few incidents that I wrote down about. So I'll share some of those.
when I was about nine or 10 years old, my father insisted, demanded, coerced me into going to the local supermarket to buy him his two bottles of Genesee ale. I remember the bottles, I remember it vividly. And as I walked home, carrying these two cold bottles in a brown sack, paper sack, I felt so much shame. I thought the whole neighborhood was peeping out their windows and looking at me and condemning me and condemning my father. That's one shame that I felt. Um, when I was in sixth grade, my mother got me a nice, beautiful dress. And I can even remember what it looks like, the colors, and it was nylon. <laughs> And I felt so proud of myself going to my graduation until one of the little other little girls said to me, oh, you have a new dress. What I heard was, unlike what you normally wear, which are probably hand-me-downs or old stuff, there is another shame incident. I don't remember how old I was, but I, I know I wasn't a teenager. One Christmas, the Salvation Army came to our home with food and toys. And I was so happy to have a, have a toy for Christmas and, and some, some nice food. But I also felt shame that my family couldn't provide that for us. And then I was a preteen. And uh, I was beginning to develop as any normal girl would. And we had a couple of cousins, my father's nephews came over one day, and they were chasing me around the house, talking about my changing body. There was another shame incident. So those are, those are all that I can think of. But my parents did use a lot of shame. And I, re, I remember my father, my father and mother saying things like that, shame and guilt. So at this point, I want to, um, oh, and I had one, I do, I do have, did note, I had one more thing. When I was uh, just before my program, I had a I had a job where I was uh, a personnel person, and I made the mistake of sending two letters to someone that was applying for a high up position in our company, and my boss called me into her office, and she reamed me out from one end to the other. Now she happened to be a, an Irish descent white woman, and her face was livid red. And I had a flashback of my father's face. So there again, I felt shame. So I agree with Harvey. This was programming. It's very deep. It happened. It started very young. It's very deep. It's not going to go away. But I can lessen it. I can work on lessening it. And by bringing it to the light, and hopefully by being rigorously honest with you today, I can take my shame and make it smaller. And, you know, those were, those were traumatic events. And trauma is helped by the sharing of it. But I had to write it out. And, and as I've thought about this talk, more and more of those incidents came back. And those things set me up for my various addictions. I don't have one addiction. I have several. I can make an addiction almost out of anything. I'm so creative. Talking about humor, someone was asking about laughter in the program. I, I would like to make a response to that. I heard someone share who had just about a year of sobriety, been in program a long time. And this person was given an hour to share and then answer questions. 
after 55 minutes, that person's talk was all about the disease, all about the problem, and only had a few minutes to share about the solution and the positive things. But I have heard several people with long-term sobriety, I'm talking more than 10 years, like crazy Harvey. <laughs> and I laugh through them. They, they talk about their craziness and their addiction, and they're just rolling over in laughter, and they're making me laugh too. So that to me is about shame. When I can laugh at myself and my insanity, I have got a little bit of recovery. Thank you, God. Okay, back to, um, I, want, I want to define guilt and shame and talk about the difference between the two. Guilt is about what I do, the actions I take or the words I say. And when I make a mistake, I can correct it, right? Or I can make amends. I can mend it up in some way, make it a little bit better. But shame is about my identity. It's who I am. It's also... I got a couple of notes here. If I'm a mistake, I cannot make, I can't change anything. I'm powerless, right? I'm totally helpless. And now I'm a victim. Shame is about also the fear of vulnerability. Uh, there is an, I love this book, The Real Connection. Today's talk or a thing is called discarding masks. It says here, this person wrote that they had, a, they had a session, an essay meeting on the discussion about the masks worn as active sexaholics. And he says, part of my recovery involves taking off the masks I use to conceal my motives and feed my addiction. I am also trying to, it's not just my acting out, it's my feelings of shame that come after, you know, <laughs> And, and, and that's what we talk about, the disease of forgetting. I forget the fear and the shame and the, the guilt that I have afterwards. And then I lead to, and my masks must be, must be um, identified and dumped. So uh, what I'm saying here is I need to get out all those things that I felt shamed about so I can do what? Change how I see them. Because what I see and what I experience is what I become. My perception needs to change. And when my perception changes, my actions change. How do I do that? Because It's funny, we have a program of action. I have to do the writing, I have to do the sharing, I have to do attending meetings. That changes my perceptions and then I change. And it, it'll just flow out of me. I don't have to, and that's the, that to me, that's God working in myself. I went through this little book, big book, and detailed how many times the word shame was, was mentioned, 25 times. So I know this is a big issue for us. And quite often, guilt and shame are mentioned together. They are together. I started when I, I know I did this in high school or college, when I would, I was raised Catholic, and when I went to confession over and over and over again, talking about a character defects, 
and especially about my anger. And I can't tell you what I was really angry about. I guess I was just angry about my life in general, that I was so powerless about it. I turned that guilt into shame. So I became a bad person. And I started looking and acting in ways that proved that my decision about myself, that I was a bad person, was right. So I set myself up to be a victim. And being a victim is a way for me to act out. Now I have permission. I'm such a victim. Baloney. I've also learned that I don't have power, but I do have choice. And my choice is I'm either going to choose to follow and surrender to ego, my addiction, some people say the devil, or I can surrender to my higher power. Now, I had to work on this step two thing a long time. I needed step one, step two, and step three. Really, that's my foundation in order to delve into the fourth step. And what I've come to understand is that I had to get the, the idea of a male or a man or, you know, the, the guy with the white beard and the white hair and all that up in the sky. I had to get rid of that because that just didn't work. So this is my definition of God. I like the good orderly direction. But currently, my definition is God is a trustworthy guiding power that dwells within a trustworthy, loving, I, did, I forgot loving, a trustworthy, loving, guiding power that dwells within. So I can call on this power. I can go inside, which is a form of meditation. It, it can take a moment. It doesn't, I don't have to do a big half hour thing. And I, I've done that. I've done a lot of meditation techniques. And just say, what would you have me do, God? And this is advice I give to my sponsees. When you don't know, when I don't know what to do, I try to calm down. I may say a prayer. I just take a, a breath and say, God, what would you have me do? If I don't say that, I have ego, which is a the first voice I hear and the loud voice I hear is going to tell me to do something that is self-centered, self-seeking, harmful. But if I call God into my life, if I say, God, what would you have me do? What is in, this is another definition of God for me. God wants for me what is in my highest good for the longest term. My highest good for the longest term. That's what God, so tomorrow, next year, 10 years, for me, 30 years here in program, am I going to feel good about it? Am I going to feel at peace about it? That's what I need. So if I just say that prayer, I will hear what I need to do, or I will feel it, or I'll have it. You know, Harvey talked about being intuitive, having an intuitive sense about what to do, and turning my head off. You know, because the more I wrote and rewrote this crazy thing, the, the the more he was right. The last thing I thought was, "This is not good enough. This is terrible. This is bad. You got to do it all over again." There's my insanity. It has not gone away. So I have been doing a lot of heavy meditation and, and reaching out to others. 
saying, I am crazy about this. I got to let it go. I do better when I'm ad-libbing, not when I'm preparing something. I really appreciated Malcolm's uh, talking about meditation because I agree that what he, what a lot of things that he said, I really, they, they fit my experience, strength and hope too. Uh, oh, I've already talked 20 minutes. Let me see. I was going to walk you through all the steps, but you don't need to hear all that. What I, what I was, when I was writing, I was writing about um, all my different forms of perfectionism. I have a list of 23 different forms of perfectionism. What I told myself, what I did, how I felt. And to be a perfectionist means I am either going to be God. I, I like to say play God. Or I'm going to be the worst scum of the earth that everybody's going to get to walk all over. I'm not right-sized. I um, my One of the gifts that my sponsor gave me was when she heard all this insanity about not being perfect, you know, and not doing it right, you know. Oh, just you hear that rigidity, that tension, that seriousness. I add an S to the word halt, by the way. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and too serious. I have taken myself so seriously. Oh, I'm exhausted. And I took my uh, fourth step quite seriously. I did the Father Larry, which was 26 pages long. It was not my inventory. It was the inventory of my family of origin, of my ex-husband, of the church, and of God. After I wrote that, <laughs> Then I could begin, I needed to get all that out, I guess. Then I could begin to start working on myself or my resentments against myself. And we talk about self-care. I call that my ninth step work. For me, it means I get enough sleep, I have regular exercise, I have fun time, both alone and with friends. I need mentally stimulating things. I once had a therapist told me, you need to have a career that's mentally challenging or you're going to do all this craziness. So, so I got to keep having new things and to learn and grow and to have spiritual time, meditation time, quiet time, and a program. I need a program. And I have two right now. Um, so I'm jumping all over the place, but that's, that's good enough. Uh, what else do I want to share with you? People are asking questions about forgiveness. I have actually developed a, a writing thing for forgiveness. Um, for me, the definition of forgiveness is letting go of wanting the past to be different. And I have learned inside the program that actually by embracing my defects that I, I can see that they had some, they had some good, good gifts for me. You know, when I grew up in a chaotic family, I sought order. So I am, I like to be neat. I like to be organized. I'm very good at that. Um, I, I also, um, I also reacted against, you know, my family was this way. I was going to be that way. I just carried that to an extreme. So when I do a job, I do it thoroughly. 
And I and what I need now is to have a sense of balance so that I have time for fun. I was talking about my ninth step. Well, that's all of that is about is to have a sense of balance in my life. Now, I didn't learn these things in the first year, the first five years. No, I keep learning more and more. Every day in every way, God is teaching me. Um, and now I can think in a different way so that what I experience and what I see in life is much happier, much more peaceful. Uh, I want to say one thing about peace. I like to say that I have only one goal for my life, and that is to be at peace. And I have learned that if you have more than one goal, you're going to have conflict. So I want to have peace. And what brings me peace is to not have this crazy mind going all the time. When I first started to meditate before program, I would hear all of my insane fears and acting out stuff and, you know, fears about work and fears about money and all this kind of stuff. Now when I go inside, I can actually concentrate on my breath. I can let my thinking go. But this has taken a while. So you have to learn a little bit of patience. But as an addict, I, we don't have very much of that. <laughs> we want the quick fix. So it, it just, it's just funny to me that, and, and when I can laugh, I can separate myself from the addiction. I can separate myself from the insanity. Um, and also when um, Malcolm was talking in the meditation talk about who am I, I am not my thoughts and I am not my feelings. I've identified with both. I am the space between my thoughts. I am the observer of my thoughts. I am the observer of my feelings. And as soon as I can see myself as, oh, I'm going to let myself go crazy here. Oh, I'm going to let myself feel self-pity. I'm going to let myself feel shame. I'm going to let myself feel this. I separate myself from that. I can be the observer. And that gives me a moment to bring that power that dwells within and say, what would you have me do with this? So, and everything is a lesson God would have me learn. So all my different feelings, they just, they're just there to teach me, just as you are there to teach me. And my best teachers are the people that, that drive me crazy, that annoy me, you know, just slight irritation. Those are my teachers because they are showing me what about myself that I have not accepted and loved. So I think with that, I can close and answer a few questions, hopefully. All right. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Um, we do have some questions for you. And if anybody wants to, uh, you can type down in the bottom of the Q&A questions. Um, let's see. Hey, Tricia, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh and I also feel a lot of shame. So I felt like it was a sign to join this talk. My question is, I never feel satisfied and always feel shame over decisions I make, whether it's work or lust-based. Any advice on how you worked on feeling free? Ah, my sponsor told me that when I make a mistake, or when I start judging myself, and I allow myself to just feel that and, and tell myself that this is good enough, this is the best I can do, I get an A for being human. 
So you get an A for being human coming to this meeting today. You get an A for being human walking through the door. Isn't it wonderful to just be human? We're good enough. See, shame is about not being good enough. Nothing's good enough. It's not just me. It's you're not good enough. I, I never have enough. I couldn't have enough money. I didn't have enough possessions. I didn't have enough food in the closet. You know, it's just not enough. And when you come into program and you work through those steps, you're going to feel a lot, lot better. So just keep coming back. Keep listening and reaching out. You're doing all the right things. Thank you. Thank you, Tricia. Thank you for the uh, for the talk as well. Um, I feel like all essays that keep relapsing need to work ACA and get in touch with their inner child and ask themselves why they are lusting. What do you think? Be careful about the whys. <laughs> ACA may help you with the underlying issues. Um, I use therapy and I, I did go to ACA for two years, but I, I, I had a God issue. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't work my steps there. Um, the why will come as you just work your program. See, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. What you need will come as you need it. That experience has given me more and more faith in my higher power. So trust that if you're thinking about going to ACA, go try it out. You know, but this addiction is a killer. You need to work these steps. You can go to those meetings, but I always believe that you work one program at a time. If you have not worked your st 12 steps here, do this first, and then you'll be, you'll be ready. Because that was another thing. I went to therapy for 20 years before I came into program. I, I was going in circles, you know, like that little, the rat or the chipmunk or whatever it is goes in a circle. I, I got Band-Aids on my bleeding wounds. When I came here, I got honest. And I got comfort. And I got hope. So then I could go back to therapy and be honest about what was really going on. Because I was beginning to take responsibility for my life. And my addiction was, I'm not responsible. I'm a victim. Next question. Thank you so much. I feel like... All essays that keep relapsing need to work ACA and get in touch with their inner child. Oops. Sorry, that was my, I forgot to dismiss it. Okay. All right. I think that I'm as addicted to shame as I am lust. Have you found this to be true in yourself or others? Oh, it could be. But see, that's a head stuff. It, it doesn't matter. Get in touch with it. Embrace it. I, you know, I've got 23, I can give you my list of 23 things that I'd say and do to feed the shame. <clears throat> you know, but I, I don't want to waste your time with that, but, well, but I need, we, that's right. an inventory. You can do a shame inventory, but you got to do all 12 steps on your lust. Then you can do 12 steps. As a matter of fact, I have a new sponsor. We're going to work on shame for myself. So I've already done, you know, I'm going to work all 12 steps and I often I got this when I did service on the international level. The chair of the delegates said that she worked when she had a problem. She worked all 12 steps on them. And I was having a problem there. So I, I tried that. 
it was wonderful. And it took me only half an hour, but you, you, you can't do that unless you've worked the steps on your addiction first. Okay. Yeah. And, and just for the future in, in recordings that are um, authorized to be released, we can put a company in documents in with those. So when people go in to listen to them and download them, they can also look at the documents. So if you have any that you'd like to share with us, we can meet with you afterwards. Okay. Oh, oh, so oh then don't worry about it. My, my you don't have to rush your answers as well, Trisha. You can, you, 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 we, we have time. You can go into depth with your answers a little bit if you want to. May I talk? I want to talk about my three letters. Um, <clears throat> this really helped me with shame. With somebody that I have a, a resentment, you know, like the step eight and a half I'm talking about to forgive. The first letter you write, and you need to share this with your therapist, preferably with your sponsor or, and or your therapist. The first letter... You write to the person that you're angry with, you're resentful with, and you just take their inventory. Now, the letter that I have starts out with anger. I feel angry that. I feel angry when. I feel angry because. Then it goes to hurt. I feel angry that, angry when, angry because, hurt, and hurt because, hurt, and all that. Sadness. It takes through all these negative feelings, and you get them out, and you share them with your sponsor. Then after you have shared it and processed it with your sponsor or your therapist, the second letter you write to yourself as though you are that other person and you give yourself the gift of what you need to hear. So I even have a little formula for that. Thank you for sharing. I'm very sorry that I didn't do this or I did do that to you. you know. And it's an, kind of like an apology and an acknowledgement. It's, so you get to feel heard, respected, cared about. That's the second letter. And the third letter is your gratitude letter. You're writing back to that person saying, thank you for giving me what I needed. And th th I, there's some other things. And maybe even writing about what you've learned about this process. It has helped so much myself and my sponsees. So that, that might be something that you'd want. Uh, next question. Yes, um, it's, a, it's a kind of sensitive question, but um, how, how, uh, how, someone's asking how they would uh, deal with um, overcoming shame from uh, feeling certain forms, from feeling, I guess, pleasure from abuse. Ah, that's a tough one, let me think. Yeah. I have, um, in my professional life, I have worked with trauma victims who have experienced a great deal of abuse. And I had a relationship with a man who was sexually abused by his parents. And he turned that into his sexual addiction. He turned the abusive things into pleasure. That was the defense mechanism. But he would not come to program wouldn't do anything like that. I don't do groups, is what he said. There we go. We're all isolating. I would suggest to you that you probably need to work with your therapist, with a person who has experience with trauma, and go into the pain. Embrace the pain and let the tears flow. When I did... My father was physically abusive to my brothers. 
I was terrified of being murdered. I was never sexually abused, but f- physically I was just just scared to death because of I was a girl. He didn't he didn't touch me. But I was angry. He was an angry person, and I was angry with him. And I spent two years in therapy trying to deal with that, and I got migraine headaches from it. And what was happening in therapy, why it took me so long, is that my therapist was identifying with me and trying. He was feeling my anger for me. I was getting the headaches because I didn't allow myself to feel the anger. And he finally realized, or got help or something, to stop doing that. And then I started feeling my anger. And after I got my anger out, I had this tremendous grief. And that is and I've even done a month-long, I think it was six months, a two-year therapy thing. Once a month, we would go away for a weekend. And we started out with anger. And the last thing we worked on was grief. So underneath that shame that you feel from the abuse that, that still turns you on, there's a lot of grief that you were not allowed to be the beautiful person and have the the healthy experiences that you deserve to have. And that, that takes a while and that takes a lot of courage. That's why we need to have our higher power and we need to have the support of those around us. So don't share things with people that don't understand. Protect yourself. I always like to say, you know, my recovery is not stronger than anybody else's disease that the disease is stronger than my recovery. Remember, it's outside that meeting door doing push-ups. So if I go back out there, it's as though I never stopped acting out. And I had two friends in program. One committed suicide and the other one was murdered because they went back out. This is a scary, dangerous disease. Take the disease seriously, but take yourself humorously. Thank you so much. I did my step four and five and the shame got better. But every time I check in with my MOs, shame takes me over. How can I get rid of it? What's the, what's an MO? It's like the types of acting out that you do. Like, you know, when you talk about like mine would be, well, I won't say it here, but um, when I talked about what I did in my acting out, some meetings, when they do a check-in, they share all of their MOs. Their yeah. Yeah, that that has really bothered me because they do that in Pittsburgh and they didn't. I got sober in Oklahoma City. Sylvia was my sponsor and we never did that. There are good things for that. There are not so good things for that. Um, Everything is a suggestion in this program. So if sharing your MO and going back over that brings shame to you, you do not need to do that. There is no rule, no law. No one that we that's why we need to study the traditions. I really recommend after you go through your 12 steps, start studying the traditions. You know, what you need to be in a group that has a monthly tradition meeting. Boy, I'm telling you what to do there. Oh, my plan, God. Sorry, God. But I have gotten my meetings to start having a tradition meeting because it teaches me, you know, what the tradition, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of new people here, so I'll share that. One of my favorite sayings is, the steps keep me from committing suicide. The traditions keep me from committing. (laughs) That's right. 
And the concepts keep me from committing genocide. Now, we sure have a lot of that stuff going on in this world today. So we need to study all three. That's all I got to say. And I'm going to keep my story. <laughs> That's great. I love that line. Uh, someone asked if there's a way to make amends to yourself. Besides self-care, uh, get honest and keep working your program. Anytime you feel a little uncomfortable, that's a sign there's something you need to look at. And just ask, oh, and be careful. Whatever you ask for, God will give you. <laughs> if it's in your highest good. Let me see. What's this about God? Show me what I need to do. For some of us, we need to get our noses up, ground to the ground, you know, get our scrape our knees or scrape our noses. And I don't believe that we always have to learn through pain. I believe we can learn through joy. Coming to a meeting and hearing other struggles, that gives me joy that I don't have to do that. That reminds me, oh, maybe I need to pay attention to this. Oh, I learned these guys in my, I'm the only woman in my class, in my group, until little over a year ago, God sent me another woman to be in, in my group. I'm so grateful. Oh, I never had that problem in Oklahoma. There were always women there, not in Pittsburgh. But anyway, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Next, go to next question. It'll come. Okay. When the shame feels like its truth is rooted in my body, in that toxic feeling of heaviness, what is the solution? Give it away. Give it to God. Make a phone call. If you can share that with someone, you need comfort. You, you need to know that you are getting, and if you can admit to this and get it out in the light, you get an A for being human. You're just there, but for the grace of God, go I. I could be a murderer. I could, I could kill I could do anything that anybody has ever done, given the right circumstances. How do I know that? My addiction taught me that. I never thought I'd do this. I never thought I'd do that. I'm a lady. I came in being a lady. I'm not a My first thought was sex addicts are all men and they're flashers. That's all I thought sexual addiction was. <laughs> because as a kid, I was 10 or 11. My girlfriend and I went down. I was raised in Buffalo, New York. We went down to the park by the lake and there was a flasher and he fired. So I thought that was a sex addict. That when, when I was talking, when I heard about sex addiction and all that, I thought that was a sex addict. So what do I know? That sunlight is really something. <laughs> okay, God, give me the spotlight. <laughs> that sunlight coming in from my window. Next question. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the gift of desperation? Oh. Mm. How far down do you need to go before you feel desperate enough to say, I give up. I'll be willing to do whatever it takes. That's all you have to say. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And it takes whatever it takes for you. My dad was an alcoholic. He never had a bottom. He was never willing. And how do you remove? What you got to get rid of is your pride. Shame is kind of the, see, perfectionism is the opposite of shame. Before I came into program, I was a perfectionist because that was my cure for shame. 
So if I'm perfect, I don't see any problem. There's nothing wrong with me. What a perfect denial. So, yeah, you have to be, you have to get a little bit of humility. And the humility comes through pain. Or you can just decide, say, I'm going to give it a chance. I'm going to try. Powerful. Thank you so much. That was good. Uh, I, I loved your talk. I feel an enormous amount of shame has fallen away since coming to the program over a year ago. But just wondering if you have any tangible suggestions on chipping away the harder shame that still remains on a deeper level. Thanks again for all your wisdom. Well, there's one thing I am working on getting because I see it a lot in my life, and that's patience. You can't handle it all. You've only been in program a year. My God, I've been in, I've been, I lost four years and four months of sobriety. I would have 32 years. Just about close to what Harvey has. Well, four years younger than, I'm four years younger than Harvey. <laughs> I'm glad to be younger than somebody. I could not have had this talk after a year, after five years, after 10 years. I'm telling you, it just takes time. So why be in a hurry? You got the rest of your life. Don't be in a hurry. You're going to be there. You're in God's hands. Everything happens in God's way and in God's time. That's the sixth and seventh step to me. Thank you, God, for taking my defect in your way. and your. T- As a matter of fact, I even have talked about if I were perfect, you know what the problem with that be? I would have no empathy because why can't you handle that? I, got, I don't have a problem with that. You know, you're that sarcasm, that cockiness. I, I wouldn't be able to understand anyone. I wouldn't know what struggle was about. Um, I would be very lonely because nobody could identify with me. Mm. It's our weaknesses that unite us. You know, I went to church and everybody, these different meetings at churches, you know, they would have, everybody put on their mask. I'm all together. You know, I look good. I don't feel like crap underneath. That's comparing everybody's outsides with my insides. Give yourself some time. Expose yourself. Be vulnerable. Be courageous and be vulnerable. Just embrace the program like it's going to save your life. Not just save your life. As Harvey said, you're going to have a whole new life. Oh, my God. I came in. One of the promises really struck me when I first came in. The fear of financial insecurity. I thought it said financial insecurity would leave us. Not the fear of it. I wanted financial security. I have financial (laughs) security. Guess what? I have financial security. Wow. How did that happen? Just doing what's right just do the next right thing next right thing do the next right thing that's all you got to remember just stay in today this 24 hours the next right thing and you know you'll wake up one day and say oh i don't think like that anymore oh i don't feel like that anymore thank you um are there any specific steps that you take to feel peaceful when you're feeling disturbed within or specific methods of meditation? Uh, uh, Lately, I have found a meditation that's on peace. 
that is very, very helpful to me. And there's a, there's a, the, the, the voice takes me through this series like a prayer. Um, so and I found it on YouTube. So actually somebody sent it to me. Um, but, it, you know, meditation is so, there's so many ways of doing that. And I have done the meditation, running the energy up the spine and out my head, you know, coming, coming down my head through the third eye, down the back, down and out my feet. That's the kind of energy running I do. Um, but there are just so many things. Just and go inside and just listen to yourself and you will hear either recovery or you'll hear your insanity. Oh, another, yeah, I do have another thing that I do for meditation. In my other program, we have little meditation books and they've made a workbook for each of, for two of them. So you read the meditation and then you go to the workbook and it'll answer, ask you various questions. And that is a form of meditation because what I find is as I'm answering those questions, I start writing about what's on my mind, what's troubling me today. So you can use writing as a form of meditation. You can go for a walk and just see what, just become aware. Remember, I am the awareness of my thoughts and my feelings. Why am I, and this is another thing about thoughts and feelings. My feelings don't come from nowhere. My feelings come from my thoughts. Mm. Mm. And I, I used to do a triangle. Feelings at the top, thoughts and actions at the bottom, okay? I can make myself do something I don't want to do. So I have direct control of my actions, right? I can make myself think a different thought, even though I don't want to. I can make myself change. It may not last very long, but I can make myself think a different thought. But I cannot make myself feel a different feeling. I can only do that indirectly by changing what I do, changing what I think or say. That's how I have control of my feelings. Program teaches me what to do and what to think about and what to say. And my feelings change. All right. Thank you so much. How can I accept a perversion within me, let alone love it? When I think about it too much, shame picks up its head. Well, you don't need to love that perversion. You understand. You love yourself by understanding where that came from. What was that about? And what need did that fill? I often ask sponsees, I say, you know, when, when you start thinking about acting out, you're just thinking about it. Something happened in your life that, that this came up. And there's, to me, I see, it, I see it as a need or a fear. You know, there are only two feelings, love and fear. And shame is part of fear. Shame is, I'm fearing that my needs won't be met. I'm afraid that I'm not enough. I'm afraid of vulnerability. Every negative thing, every feeling is either love or fear. As I even define love as acceptance. If I love you, I accept you as you are right now in this moment. I don't need to change you. I don't need to control you. I don't need to use you. I don't need you to use me. I just accept you. And that's what life is. There's even a book called Loving What Is, you know, accepting. Just And, you know, there's the three A's, awareness, acceptance, and action. But if you can accept that this has been a part of your past and 
It met a need. What is that need that it met? And ask God and your sponsor and people in program, how can I meet that need? So I don't need to do this other stuff. I can, I can feel good about meeting my needs in a positive, beautiful, loving way instead of a destructive way. Hopefully that helps. Thank you. Um, here's another question. Uh, we're slowly coming towards the end. We'll try and get one, two, a couple more in if we can. About five, six minutes left. Uh, tremendous shame has come up for me in program as I keep relapsing and I feel like the loser who can't get sobriety, especially when sharing my pathetic sobriety date. How can I work the program when it's bringing up such intense shame? What is your shame telling you? There's something you need to be doing that you're not doing, I'm thinking. Have you done an inventory of what is it? Or, or to ask yourself, probably there's some pride in there. Your, your, your addiction is talking to you in a way that's convincing you that this time it'll work. So you need to start doing an inventory. When you start having those thoughts about acting out, you might want to write those down or call your sponsor and talk about what are you telling yourself that it's okay this time or it'll be different, okay? And then you need to have a response for that. And part of the response is, I see my addict as a child. A child under seven has no conscience, right? That's why uh, they have confession in the church at age seven because you have a conscience by then. By the way, guilt doesn't happen until age seven either, but shame can start from birth on. So I'm going to suggest to you that um, got off on a tangent here. Ah, ah, that you want to find out that you want you to. I want you to treat this addict like a three-year-old. You know, they, they've got verbal skills, so they're talking to you, and they're so cunning, you know, and they're, you know, they want what they want, and they're not going to share anything. I want what I want what I want, it, you know. So you, you're dealing with a three-year-old. Now, what does a good parent do? A good parent lovingly disciplines that child, gets that child out of the danger zone. So you get yourself to a meeting, you get yourself to work in the program, you get yourself to your sponsor, okay? And you lovingly say, what is it you really want? Do I really want this? What do I really want? And is there one thing that I'm willing to do to move towards recovery? Um, this is not my core addiction. My core addiction, I have to do this all the time with myself. And I have to, what's the one thing I'm willing to do today that will move me towards sobriety? I do that. Oh, I feel so much better about myself. And then I'm willing to do the next thing. I, let me compare it to exercise. I have been in exercise program and then I've stopped doing it. I've had major surgeries, so I stopped exercising and it was so hard to get back into the groove because we are creatures of habit. What I would do some days, I would put my exercise clothes on and I wouldn't leave the house, but I got my clothes on. That was the one thing I was willing to do. Eventually, I got tired of putting my exercise clothes on and not going to exercise class. So I finally started going, but that reminds me. My definition of addiction is a habit that has a life of its own. Mm -hmm. I am doing it without even thinking. I'm, I'm saying, that was my first acting out. What am I doing here? I, you know, 
I had no idea. How, how, how did I get here? I had no idea that I put on seductive clothing, that my language, my gesture, I did all kinds of seductive things to set myself up to act out. But it was unconscious. So I want to be, I have to be consciously building the stuff in program so that I will unconsciously do the good stuff. So you're just building a new habit and it's going to take the rest of your life. But what else have you got to do? <laughs> That's what my sponsor said to me when I said, I, I couldn't stay in the job. I had a bachelor's degree and I hated the job I was in. I wanted to get out of it. What else can I do? And, and somebody in another program suggested going to get this master's. It was perfect for me because it wasn't every night of the week. It was just on weekends and I could decide when I went. Anyway, and I said, well, it's going to take me four or five years to get that degree and to get, get the, the ultimate thing. She said, well, what are you going to do for the next four or five years? Bitch and complain. So I did it. And I eventually got a, not only the degree, but I had to get a license. That took me eight years. But you know what? I was in program. So I had perseverance. I had support up the kazoo. Thank you, God. And because of that, I was able to give and help others in a way that I would have never been able to. So, see, God will take care of you. You know, I could just tell you story after story. When I did international service work, I got to take all these trips. I wanted to, I wanted to travel so much when I was younger. I never had the money and I never had the time. Service gave me the money and the time. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Um, we do have a bunch of questions. Unfortunately, we are not going to be able to get to them. Um, I know somebody asked about your two letters and maybe we'll figure out a way that people after this can connect with you to find out more about that. It's um, three letters. Three letters. Okay. Three maybe letters. they're about your second one or I'm not sure. So, oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. But uh, everybody, thank you for your questions and especially to our speaker, Tricia, thank you so much for your time and your service. That was very helpful and valuable. Um, really did enjoy it. If I'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind uh, closing us out with either a, a program prayer of your choosing, and then we'll go on to the next announcements. Seventh step prayer. Okay. Right on the money. My creator, I'm now ready that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character, which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and others. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding always. Amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.